And the uh, Lord had put a verse in my heart, and we'll get there. And he began to let me in on it, so to speak, and come to find out it was, it, I had my thoughts, I had my directions, and, uh, but the Lord said, why don't we keep it in context and let it be a real help to people, amen? And thank God for contextual preaching, amen? Preaching according to the word of God. And I heard a man say last night that he loves preaching, he loves preaching in context, because context will help you. Uh, but Jeremiah chapter number eight, verse number one, if you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible said, at that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of his princes, the bones of the priests, and the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. And they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven whom they have loved and whom they have served, and after whom they have walked, and whom they have sought, and whom they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor be buried. They shall be dung upon the face of the earth. How would you like to be Jeremiah preaching that message? In essence, Jeremiah is saying, if you want to keep following the false gods, if you want to keep worshipping like the heathen, God will let you. And you'll end up just how they end up. Look at verse number three. And the death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain of this evil family, which remains in all places, whither I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not arise? Shall they turn away and not return? Why then is this people Jerusalem Slidden back by perpetual backsliding. They hold fast deceit and they refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rusheth in to battle. Do you realize what Jeremiah is saying there? He said, They've run back just like a horse runs unknowingly into battle. A horse doesn't fight. A horse doesn't win per se. The horse is just doing whatever the rider tells him to do. The Bible said, yea, the stork in heaven knoweth her appointed times and the turtle and the crane and uh, the swallow observe the time of their coming, but my people know not the judgment of God. How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pens of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken low. They have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. Therefore, I will give their wives unto others and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For everyone from the least even unto the greatest is given to covetousness. And for the prophet even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people, say, slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. When they are, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. In the time of their visitation they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vines, no figs on the fig tree, and the leaves shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do you sit still 
assemble yourselves. Let us enter into the defense that is, let us be silent therefore, for the Lord our God hath put us to silence, hath given us water of God to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, and behold, trouble. The snorting of the horses we heard from Dan, the whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of, their, of his strong ones, for they are come, and he devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein. For behold, I will send serpents and cockatrices. How many want one of them? How many don't even know what that is? It's a viper, amen. I had to look it up. It's a cockatrice. I don't know what it is, but I don't want one, amen. That sounds like something that you got to spray for. He said, for behold, I will send serpents, cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. And when I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not our king in her? We, why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with strange vanities? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black, astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Look at verse, chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go for them. For they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous people. Men, let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, we do thank you for this one. We do thank you for Calvary. And I do ask you, Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that even when the message is hard, it is not hopeless. We are not without help this morning. We are not without hope. Lord, we know that, God, you can do the impossible. We know that you are able. But I pray, Lord, this morning to work directly in our hearts this morning. Lord, let me just be a mouthpiece. Lord, empty me out of myself. Fill me with the Spirit of God. Lord, let me preach, Lord, as you desire and design me to preach this morning. Lord, I'm nothing more than a mouthpiece, nothing more than an instrument in the hands of a mighty God. And I pray, Lord, you just let me be the messenger. Lord, get my thoughts, Lord, get my feelings or my emotions out of the way. Help me to preach, thus saith the Lord. Lord, we don't need stories and funny things Lord, we need the word of God this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to glorify your name. Help us, Lord, to heed the message. Lord, we sure do love you. We sure are grateful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I am grateful that you're a God of second chances and many chances beyond that. Lord, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for not walking away from me. Thank you for not walking out on me. Thank you for not turning me over and turning me loose but holding me near and dear to your heart. Well, I'm sure I'm grateful, Lord, this morning that nothing can separate me from your love. And I pray, Lord, you'd work on our hearts this morning. There's somebody here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, God. They are broken. They are hurting. 
This world's had its way with them. Oh, I pray, Lord, they'd meet you this morning and you'd change their life and their eternity. And I pray, Lord, this morning for the Christian that is in that discouraged place, that desert place. I pray, Lord, you remind them there is a balm in Gilead and there is a physician that can help them. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can have a seat this morning. Thank you so much for standing, no doubt. In Jeremiah, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a verse in Jeremiah that everybody likes, right? It's on the coffee cups and it's, they sell it at Hobby Lobby and all that wonderful things. And how many are glad that he knows the thoughts that he has towards you, amen? How many are glad that he has that desire to help you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to grow you, to establish you, to build you up in the most holy faith and to use you for his glory, but the reality is when you look at Jeremiah's ministry and you look at Jeremiah's life and the, 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 the decisions and the actions that took place in his life, it's not by accident that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And it's not because he had uncontrollable emotions or he was trying to put on a show and he was, he was trying to drive people down to the altar for a number, but it was because he was sincerely and almost wholeheartedly broken over God's people. And not only was he broken over, but God gave Jeremiah the task to walk into Judah and to walk into Israel and to preach to them the judgment of God. Boy, how would you like to be that? There's some times in my life, can I say as a pastor and as a preacher, I wish every message that God gave me was encouraging and made you feel better and it helped us and, it, and we just walked out of here hugging and crying and loving on everybody. But can I say sometimes the Lord, and, and here's the thing, I've learned that it's far better for me to follow him and to listen to him and to be guided by him to do what I, than for me to do what I think is best. And here's reality, even when the preaching is hard, it does not mean that it is not needed. <laughs> I remember someone asked me, they said, Tate, do you like hard preaching? Because I love hard preaching. I said, what do you mean by hard preaching? Oh, you know, you got to preach against TVs and women wearing pants and, and this and that and this and that. And I thought to myself, that's not hard preaching. It may be unpopular, but it's not hard preaching. <laughs> and, and, and how many have ever seen a, a preacher, you can look at them and by their tone or their voice and, and by the words coming out of their mouth, you're like, who are they mad at? You can just hear it in their voice. <laughs> they're not being led by the Holy Spirit. They are mad at somebody. And they're trying to straighten them out. But can I say some of the hardest messages that I've had to deal with and that have convicted my heart. It was not from a man screaming and hollering, talking about standards. It was a man with a broken heart preaching about pride and arrogance, jealousy, envy, lack of faith. And boy, those messages, it's like the Lord opened up my chest and put a target on my heart. <laughs> Brother Jacob hit a target from almost 900 yards yesterday. And somehow God can hit my heart from heaven and he never misses. And we see Jeremiah, he's got this difficult ministry. He's got a burden for his people. 
Oh, he wants them back to God. He wants them living for the Lord. He, he wants them to be like it once was because you got to realize when Jeremiah comes on the scene, the glory days of Israel are far and gone. Solomon's temple's been destroyed. It's been torn down. The place where the presence of God at one point was so thick they couldn't even see in front of them. And now Israel lays in waste. And God has commissioned Jeremiah to walk in and God didn't need a bitter preacher. God didn't need a mad preacher. God didn't need an angry preacher. God needed a man who had a burden. But even though Jeremiah, oftentimes he was misunderstood. In essence, I had a lady tell me one time, I, I was preaching here and I was filling in for Brother Rochester. He was out of town and they had come to visit and after the service, she told me, she said, young man, you have the spirit of Jeremiah. Now looking back at that, I'm thinking, oh my. I don't know if I want that or not. But you gotta realize, Jeremiah faced persecution. At one point, they threw Jeremiah down into a pit and said, die, we don't care. Faced persecution. He faced indifference. Jeremiah would preach his heart out to these people and it went in one ear and out the other without having any kind of effect. Jeremiah faced competition. Jeremiah was preaching, thus saith the Lord. And there was another crowd saying over here, that's not what the Lord said. And can I say we're living in a generation that the kind of preaching that takes place in our church, people, it's outdated, it's old-fashioned, it just hurts everybody, it don't help anybody. Can I say I would not trade anything in the world to, to, to take my Bible to set it aside for a message that just makes me feel good, makes me feel better about myself. I need thus saith the Lord, even when it skins my hide. Jeremiah faced competition. Preacher, I just, I just want to come to church. I want to sing a few songs. I want you to say a few positive thoughts and go about my way. There's probably a church around here that you can find that, but it ain't this one. Now, I'm not, I'm not mad this morning. I'm not angry. But sometimes when you get in the, the Bible, sometimes you got to plow. Sometimes you got you to gotta, you gotta let, let the chips fall where they fall. And we see here that Jeremiah, Jeremiah even, he even faced discouragement. The Bible said that Jeremiah literally told God, I quit. I'm done. Your people are crazy. They're not listening. I, I, I can't do this no more. And right by the time he signed his name on his resignation paper, he said, I can't quit. I can't stop. I can't give up because there's a fire set up in my bones which is the word of God and this is what they need. Can I say it? My style may go out of fashion. I may not fit in society. The liberal crowd may not like me. The emotional crowd may not get on board with me but there's something deep down inside of me this morning and it is my heart's desire not to appease you, not to entertain you but to take God's word, put it in your lap and let you deal with it because that's what we all need this morning. Preacher, you're, you're loud. You're turning red in the face. Are you mad? No, I'm hot. <laughs> My suits don't come with air conditioning. But here's what really bothered Jeremiah in chapter number eight. He's laid out God's judgment to them. He's, he's made it real clear to them. And you get down to verse number 22. 
And he, he asked a rhetorical question. He says in verse 22 of chapter number 8, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? I was preparing this message and I thought, man, I'm going I'm to study that, that balm of Gilead. And God is going to point out some things and show me some things about it. And it's going to be a blessing. It's going to be a help. <laughs> but I began to study and found out that most scholars and biblical theologians, all they really know is that there was a balm in Gilead. That there was a balm that was produced from a poplar tree in Gilead that had healing qualities and helping qualities and soothing qualities. <laughs> I even reverted to YouTube and said, I just typed in the balm of Gilead. I had to go past about 900 gospel songs. And I found this lady and <laughs> she was, uh, what was, what was special, the, the, the special qualities of the balm of Gilead? And I turned it on. I said, maybe this lady who knows trees is going to teach me something. <laughs> I had to turn her off real quick. Why, preacher? Because she started off with, today we'll be looking at the tree being. The popular tree. That ain't a tree being. That's a tree. Not a, it's not a human being. <laughs> the tree being. I said, yeah, she ain't fixing to tell me nothing. <laughs> I turned her off. But I found out that, that you can go and look at historically, some say that when Joseph was sold into slavery, that those Midianites who had come through, that more than likely they were, they were dealing and they possessed the balm of Gilead. We also know that he, they say you could go on in, in different parts in history, that even when, when Jacob sent his sons back to Egypt the second time, that he sent them back with the balm of Gilead. Now we do know history tells us that there was a balm in Gilead, and it came from a poplar tree, and they would take those, those uh, seeds or those sprouts that would grow out of a tree, the buds, they would take those before they bloomed, before they opened, and they would take them and they would, they would mash them together and it would produce a resin that would be applied to wounds that could be chewed and helped with indigestion. In essence, it was almost a miracle drug in the eyes of these people. The message isn't necessarily about the composition of this balm or the reality that there were physicians in Gilead. I could see them, what do you want to do with your life? I'm going to move down to Gilead. And I'm going to get me some poplar trees and I'm going to become a physician. And as there was this help there. The, 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 the interesting thing is not the composition, the makeup of it. The thing that bothered Jeremiah was that there was a known help and Israel didn't care. They weren't willing to seek that which they knew could help them and would help them. Now, Jeremiah was not talking about the literal balm here, but he's using this imagery. He's using this reminder that there is one who can help us. There is one who is able to correct all the wrongs, to fix all the problems, to bring peace to our heart, to restore that which is broken. There is one that can He's not just the balm, but he's also the physician. He's both in the same. But notice what he said, but, but it, they lived as if this did not exist. There was not a possibility. And Jeremiah wasn't being judgmental towards him. Jeremiah 9, 1 tells us that. He's weeping from a broken heart about his people who are neglecting this great, great opportunity to get help. 
Mark 9 verse 12 kind of tells us why they wouldn't get help. Bible Jesus said, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Say, preacher, why did Israel, why did Judah not get any kind of help? It's because they thought they weren't sick. They thought nothing was wrong. Sometimes in our Christian life, we neglect the help that God is willing to give us because we don't think we have any problems. We don't think we're that bad off. We don't think everything is, as a, we think everything's hunky-dory, everything's fine. They did not need I want to give you three reasons why they neglected the balm of Gilead. I want to give you three reasons why they neglected the help that they desperately needed. Notice number one, why did Judah not go get the balm of Gilead? Why did they not go get the physician? Number one, they were comfortable with a fruitless life. They were comfortable with a fruitless life. Shortly after bringing Israel out of Egypt, we know the story. We know the account. God made a promise. Obey my voice. Follow my commandments and I will be your God and you will be my people. And we can read the book of Exodus. We can read the, the historical accounts of Moses and we can see they weren't perfect by any means. But they, they were obeying and trusting and, and yes, there was hiccups along the way but yet God was still blessing them. You go to the book of Joshua, they're winning battles. You go to the book of Exodus, there's, there's manna coming out of heaven, there's water coming out of rocks, there's red seas that are being parted and God is using and following and, and helping them through these things. And here's the interesting thing, you get to Jeremiah chapter number seven, that command is repeated again. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23, the Bible says, But this thing I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. And ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. Verse 24, but they hearken not. They hearken not. And so we see right here, there is that they, they know what is expected. They know what is needed. They know what God has said. And they stuck their fingers in their ears and said, I'm not listening to that. We see right here what, it, what, what has produced here. We see in Jeremiah chapter number 8 that Judah has become a fruitless nation. The blessings of God have disappeared. What God was doing in the books of Exodus and, and, and Leviticus and all those different other books, we read about it. That's all passed away. And Israel's okay with it. They've become comfortable in a fruitless life. Verse 13 tells us that it was all gone in Jeremiah chapter number 8. It said, I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs of the fig tree, and the leaves shall fade, and then the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Hey, let me ask you this morning. Let me get real practical with you. Are you okay with a Christian life that is lacking fruit? Are you okay with a Christian life where there is no evidence of the Holy Spirit working and moving in your life? Israel became comfortable with it. He said, well, preacher, my vine is dried up. My fig tree is plucked up by the roots. What do I need to do? Go find the balm of Gilead. Go find the physician. The Bible said, the things that I have given them shall pass away from them, they were present, they were attainable, but through disobedience and disregard, they had been released or relinquished. God, in essence, God didn't take them away from them. It was Israel saying, Lord, we don't want them no more. We're okay with not having those things. 
Verse 27 said, some had went their entire life without seeing any fruit. Look at verse 20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. I don't know any other way to say it, but let's say it this way this morning. As a Christian, you will stand before Christ. You will not give an account of your sin. That was paid for on the cross of Calvary. But you will give an account with what you did with your great salvation that Christ gave you. And there's going to come a day where, preacher, I'm going to do this, and preacher, I'm going to do that, and preacher, I'm going to do this for God, and I'm going to, I'm going to increase this and do this and do this, and the desire is there, but there is no action behind it. And one day the harvest is going to be over. You've got to give an account to the Lord as to why there was no fruit in your life. When God gave you every possibility and every need that you would have to do so. What a terrible t testimony to have as a Christian. A fruitless life is a sign of a faithless life. A fruitless life is a life that does not please God. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. We should never feel comfortable living a fruitless life. It ought to bother us. It ought to convict us. It should make us so uncomfortable that we run to the great physician to get help. Lord, there is something wrong. Lord, you promised us that there are the fruit of the Spirit, that there's peace and joy and long-suffering, and all of that comes with it in Galatians. And Lord, none of, that is, none of that is present in my life, Lord. What is wrong? You can, either, uh, you can either allow conviction to drive you to the Lord, or you can push it away and become comfortable with a fruitless life. Notice number one, why do they, they not pursue the great physician the balm of Gilead, they were comfortable with a fruitless life. How long of a spiritual drought are you willing to endure before you get some help? Then notice number two, they were controlled by a false narrative. They were controlled by a false narrative. Jeremiah is not talking to the heathen here. He's not talking to the Moabites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, and all those otherites. He's talking to the Israelites. He's talking to the people of Judah. God's people. To say Jeremiah was in an uphill battle would be a great understatement. He was not only dealing with a backslidden people who were not willing to get right. He was dealing with backwards preachers. He was dealing with false prophets. Verse number nine, we see it in Jeremiah chapter number eight. The Bible said the wise men are saying they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? Jeremiah said they have taken God's word, sat it over here, said we will have nothing to do with this, but listen to us because we're wise. Can I say there is no wisdom outside of the word of God? Preacher, you really believe that? Come on Wednesday nights. We've been, we've been walking through the book of wisdom. We come to find there's a lot of wisdom in that book and ain't none outside of it. They were just disagreeing on trivial matters, or they weren't just disagreeing on trivial matters of eschatology. They had rejected God's word and yet they are seemingly getting a bigger platform and a louder megaphone and a louder pulpit than what Jeremiah's got. Here's Jeremiah being faithful to God's word and preaching it though it may be hard and though it may be difficult. He's preaching it from a broken heart and a heart that desires to see they get, them get right. Here they are over here saying, ah, you know, old Jeremiah. He's one of them old doom and gloom preachers. Hellfire and brimstone. Jeremiah said, no, 
I'm trying to get you back to the Lord. I'm trying to, trying to tell you that he, he still loves you. He'll forgive you if you'll just come to him. In verse number 10, when you believe lies, you can expect to lose everything and everyone you have. Look at verse number 10. Therefore, I will give their wives unto others and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For everyone from the least even unto the greatest is given to covetousness. Isn't that amazing? What a statement. From the least to the greatest. I can understand the least having a little bit of covetousness in them. But the greatest, what were they coveting over? Ah, I wish I had the problems that the least people had. And the Bible said, here's the thing, when you and I walk away from truth and you and I walk away from what is right, and Jeremiah was trying to get this across to them. Hey, he said, he said don't listen to that crowd over there. They're preaching a false narrative. If you keep going after that, you're going to lose everything you got. He didn't say anything about necessarily money or, or things like that, but it talked about, wow, oh, that's a family. Field, that's a fruit. Given the covetousness and fault and, and Covetousness from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Jeremiah said, I'm, I, I'm that lone voice standing for truth and standing for right. He said, Every, everybody else is telling lies. And he said, Lord, I can't get them to listen to me. The Bible said they were, they were not concerned about the condition because they were controlled by a false narrative. These people had lost everything, thinking, I'm good. I ain't got no problems. You ever met somebody like that? You can, you can look at their life. It is evident that they've lost a whole lot of things. And you try to talk to them, not in a judgmental attitude, not in a holier than thou, but listen to me. There is a better way. There is a, 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 a road of hope and mercy and grace. I'm good. I don't need that. This is Jeremiah to Israel. <laughs> you need this. We don't need that. We're good. Keep your balm, keep your physician. We're good. Well, Pastor so-and-so over there said, we're fine. We're fine. As long as, long as we keep coming and put a little bit of money in the plate, he's, he, he, he doesn't want to bother us. <laughs> Don't you for a second think you can buy. <laughs> Listen, I've been so broke and seen God provide for me. You can take your little tithe. You can put it in the plate if you want to. But don't you dare come wave it to me. Saying, preacher, I'm gonna put the, I ain't going to put this in there if you preach on this. I don't need your money. Let me let, let, me let you know a secret. God don't need it either. <laughs> they said that <laughs> President Trump couldn't be bought because he's so rich. I purpose in my heart, Lord, don't let him buy me because, Lord, I've been so broke. And I've watched you been faithful. <laughs> you just give obedient cheerfully, amen. And Lord will bless. Notice verse number 11, they only had slight peace. Look verse number 11, for they had healed the hurt of the, the daughter of my people slightly. Saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. They only had slight peace. The false teachers could not offer them anything more than that. All they could offer them was momentary peace. And here's the reality, is the world does offer peace. It's not real peace. It's not genuine peace. It's momentarily peace, and it always comes with a heartache. It always comes with devastation. Oh, I gotta drink this and I gotta smoke that and I've gotta watch this and I've gotta go there and I've gotta participate in this because I just need five minutes of peace. Just to find out that five minutes of peace can cost you a lifetime of regret. 
Oh, but God said, if you're heavy laden, you're burdened, you're tired, you're broken, come unto me and I will give you rest. There's no strings attached. There's no expectation. There is no regret. There is no devastation. How many are glad this morning that he has a peace that passes understanding this morning and you can't find it anywhere else but in him. That's all Satan can offer you. Slight moments of peace with a high price tag. Let me ask you, you know what's greater? The great physician offers peace that can rule your heart, can settle your heart in the midst of a storm. Psalm 23, my shepherd can, pre- can, can, pre- can prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. He can make me a comfortable place to sit down and eat with all chaos going on around me. <laughs> and if he can't, if he doesn't stop the storm around me, how many glad he can stop the storm within you? He knows how to speak peace, peace that is eternal, peace that passes understanding. Let me ask, how long are you going to listen to the lies well, expecting to experience real peace. There ain't one that can, there's only one that can offer real peace this morning. It's the great physician. Jeremiah said, is there, a bomb, is there not a bomb in Gilead? Is there not a physician there? How long is it going to take y'all to go there and get the help that you need? Why didn't they go? One, they were uncomfortable with a fruitless life. Two, they were controlled by a false narrative. Number three, they were complacent about their sin. They were complacent about their sin. <laughs> Talk about a rough a rough situation. The view that God's people had toward their sin, Jeremiah says in this chapter, God had his word written in vain. He looks at his, God's people and said, he looks at their hearts and looks how they're living. He said, it would have been better if God just hadn't written his word. For them to write it and for him, them to reject it. Talk about Discouragement. Oh, preachers never get discouraged. Preachers never go through hard times. Preachers never experience low times. Can I say, my, my, my title and my position does not make me immune from the things you go through. Here comes Jeremiah, and he's broken, and he's, he's desperate, and he's discouraged, and he looks at the people and said, God, it had been better if you hadn't written the word of God. That sounds pretty discouraged to me. What bothers Jeremiah is he looks at people who are living not in secret sin and not in behind-the-door sin, but wide-open sin, and it doesn't bother them. And now here's the thing this morning. I've worked on job sites. I've been around cussing. I've been around all of that. But the reality is I look at those people. I can know there's no salvation testimony. They don't know the Lord. That, That doesn't necessarily, I don't like it, but I understand it. They're sinners being sinners. But it's a whole other thing for someone to stand up and name the name of Christ. I know the Lord. Oh, he saved me, preacher. I can take you the time, the place. I can tell you the carpet, what time it was. I can tell you what the preacher's breath smelled like. But then, living in open sin, like it's no problem. My wife showed me a picture as we were coming into church. It's a lady sitting in her living room who is in the middle of an affair, who is committing adultery. Preach, you ought not to say that. It's about time people started to. Our generation wants to call sin everything else but sin. Adultery is still adultery. Fornication is still fornication. Drunkenness is still drunkenness. Sodomy is still sodomy. We need to call it how it is. But she's sitting in her living room and she's She's living in adultery, has a wine glass in her hand. 
And on her mantelpiece says, God bless this house. He ain't. Preacher, what's wrong with you? I got the spirit of Jeremiah. The reality is God blesses obedience. God blesses you and I obeying the commands of God, doing what he tells us to do, following his instructions, being obedient, living by faith. It is foolish. I told the young people, it is foolish for you to live however you want to and expect God to bless it. Jeremiah looks at him, he's bought it because they are living however they want to and they're expecting God to bless it. They've become complacent in their sin. God has never expected us to be perfect, but he also never wants us to be complacent about our sin. You ought to be glad the Holy Spirit convicts you. I think in our modern day generation, we've, we, we've changed the label of conviction to feelings. Preacher, you ought not to say that it hurts my feelings. That's probably the Holy Spirit convicting you, working in your heart. Look at verse number seven. Jeremiah, in love, is calling them out. He said, yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. Jeremiah's looking out at, at Judah and Israel. He's telling, listen, if you don't think your sin is no problem, he said, you've got less sense than a bunch of animals. It's not that animals and storks are sinners, but animals and storks are obedient to their creator. Do you realize that every animal that's ever been created by God has done what God has told it to do? And Jeremiah said, but you're not. A stork's got more sense than you. A turtle has got more sense than you. A swallow has got more sense than you. And then verse number 19, we find out God don't play with sin. God don't call it cute. God doesn't justify our feelings about it. Verse number 19, Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Does not the Holy Spirit dwell inside of you? Have you spurned him and grieved him and quenched him so much that when he begins to work in your heart, it is no problem for you to say, I ain't dealing with that. Lord, it's not as bad as so-and-so. It could be worse. It's not a big sin. Can I say every sin was big enough that Jesus had to die for it? And we ought not to be complacent in it this morning. Culture might try to ease up on it and change the definition of sin, but God does not, and he hasn't changed, nor will he change it this morning. They allowed their complacency to override their conviction, and it left them in a terrible spot. And the saddest part about all of it is, Verse 22, there was help, and there was hope, and there was healing, but they didn't think they needed it. There is one who can help you with your sin. He is the balm of Gilead. He shed his precious blood to, for, to pay for your sin debt. He is the great physician. He can take your broken heart and mend it. He can take your life and put it all back together again. But as long as you think you're fine and you're okay, and you don't need no help, you ain't going to get none. Those that are sick know they need a physician. Think about it this way. There's probably been some times in your life where you went to the doctor, it was your routine checkup. 
It was, you hit a certain age, you hit a certain stage in life, those routine checkups, they just become a part of life. You go there, you run your test, and you're, you're, you're doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. Just for you to show up to a regular appointment, just to give some blood work and some samples, just for them to say, hey, can we talk to you in the consultation room real quick? We were looking over your results, and we, we need to talk to you. You did not go there realizing anything was wrong, but how many once you found out you'd do something about it? Help me, doctor. What do I need to do? But it'd be a whole other thing for you to realize that you were sick and knew you were, had the signs, the symptoms of it, and to say, I'll be fine. I'll be all right. I'll walk it off. Can I say there's some things you don't walk off? It'd be a very foolish for you thing to, to know that something wasn't right and to know that something was wrong and for you to say, I'll be just fine even though there is help for me right down the road. I'll just go to them. There's one this morning here can help you. And I'm not saying you got to stand up and proclaim your, your sin publicly. But there is one that can help you. But you've got to come to him. You've got to admit that it is wrong and it needs to be right. You've got to admit that you are sick or, or you need the help and he's the only one that can help you. Preacher, but I'm saved by the grace of God already. I've already been saved. Do I got to get saved again? No, the first John says that we have to confess our sins. And that's as we come to him and we say, Lord, this is not right, and I know it's not right, and I'm not going to be complacent about it anymore, Lord. I'm not, I'm not just going to sit down and, and just let it keep going. Lord, I'm going to come get it right with you. Is there not a balm in Gilead? Is there not a physician there that can help you? Jesus is here, and he can help you this morning. But only if you let him. He's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to make you do it. But he's right now, he's as if he's standing up here with open arms saying, if you'll come, I have everything you need. What broke Jeremiah's heart was that there was a cure for Israel. They just didn't want it. Let me ask you, do you want to help this morning? Do you want what the Lord has for you? Do you want to become complacent or do you want to come get help this morning? There is a balm in Gilead and there is a physician there if you'll come to him. Why didn't, they, why, why didn't they go, preacher? They were complacent in their sin. They were, being, they were comfortable being fruitless. They were controlled by a false narrative. Why won't you come this morning? Or why will you come this morning? Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.